from the Lord is to, is to write. And, um, and I am a writer. Amen. <laughs> In Jesus' name. <laughs> Lord, early, early days of heritage, um, somebody said, should we call you Pastor Mark? I said, it's not a requirement. I said, but the only reason I'm calling myself Pastor Mark is because I'm doing it by faith. I'm calling myself what the Lord says I am. Amen. And um, so I'm, I'm an author. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a published author. Amen. That sounds odd to, to, to say. The, um, the, uh, the night that uh, I, I finished the book, um, Pam and the kids took me out to eat, and they told the, the waitress, the server, amen, that, that what, the, what we were celebrating that night. And, uh, um, and she went and got all the other servers and people in the restaurant to sign a, a, a card of congratulations and and I remember holding that card, and it, and it said uh, to the author at table, I think it was 26. And I'm like, man, it was just, I don't know, something about seeing that there, you know. Um, but one of my challenges is, you know, just sharing with people the things that I've written and, and overcoming that timidity, I guess. And, uh, but this morning, and, and it'll probably carry over into tonight, into tonight, I really feel led of the Holy Spirit to share with you from chapter 8 in my book. It's a chapter entitled, Keep Flying the Plane. Keep Flying the Plane. And for those of you who have a copy of the book, you know that underneath the chapter title, I have a a statement in parentheses. And for this particular chapter, the statement in parentheses is because there are laws involved. Because there are laws involved. And... um, just to expose the enemy, when I, when I was very young, um, I knew the Lord had called me to preach, and um, I had an aunt. Uh, this was uh, my grandfather, uh, Smith, his younger brother. I had a, an aunt, and um, let's just say she was not real happy with the pastor that they had at the time. And, uh, of course, my mom was always trying to encourage them and just talk to them about the Lord and what was going on in their lives. And... And, um, and so mom was just, you know, asking about the church and how are things at the church. And of course she was kind of sour. Uh, she had a tendency to be a little sour like that <laughs> anyway, but I'll never forget. Um, she goes, we got it. We got a new preacher and I don't like him. And mom was like, well, you know, trying to encourage her. And she said, all he does is he stands in the pulpit and he reads. And do you remember Aunt Jean saying that, Mama? <laughs> she said, all he does is stand in the pulpit and boy, just that scowl on her face. And of course, I'm just a little kid and that had such an impression upon me. I thought, man, one of these days, the last thing I want to do is just stand in a pulpit and read, you know? And, uh, and so, um, so I'm not kidding you. That's been one of those things in my life. It was a seed planted. So, but anyway, um, I'm going to do some reading to you this morning and, um, I believe the Holy Spirit's led me to do it. Brother Greg, I'm getting some kind of echo or something up here behind me. It may be a monitor or something. I don't know. Is that what you're addressing back there, John Mark? Something. I'm hearing myself twice. Amen. Praise God. There you go, brother. Thank you. That's helping it. You, you sounding good out there? Well, if I'm sounding good out there, I'll just, I'll say it and then hear myself say it. Amen. Now, there's a reason behind this and I had not planned, um, but obviously I believe the Holy Spirit had planned um, 
to spend a few weeks in Romans chapter 8. We've, we're talking about giving our Father, our Creator, Jesus, His Son, and the Holy Spirit the place they deserve in our lives this year. And that's probably going to carry over into 2020 a little bit anyway, just based on what I think we've still got to cover on that subject. And as we've looked at the different avenues and explored the different avenues of, of what that looks like, and we've really tried to focus on practical things, not just talk about the, the, the principles, uh, biblical principles of it, but how we can practically do that. And from there, we, the Holy Spirit led us to this subject of our mindset and, and how we can have our minds set upon the things of the flesh and we'll tune into the frequencies of this world and the flesh and, and that'll be the input coming into our lives. Or we can set deliberate intentional act. We can, you can, I can. We can set our minds on the things of the Spirit and, and by doing that, tune into the frequencies of God's Spirit. And so from there, we went to Romans 8, 5, which to me is such a critical verse where he says that those who live according to the flesh do mind, set their mind on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And so we've kind of been on that subject for some time. And I was sitting at my desk early last Sunday morning and trying to figure out the best way to organize and present this. And it's like the Holy Spirit said, you've already done that once. Um, and it just brought it to my attention. And that's um, what chapter 8 in the book is all about. Um, and so again, it's entitled Keep Flying the Plane. It's based out of really Romans chapter 7 and 8 uh, with the emphasis on chapter 8 and verse number 5. And so when I sometimes share parts of the book with my classes at the foundry, I remind them this is not a bedtime story. All right, but um, anyway, I hope you enjoy this. Magic or cause and effect? Question mark. After a group has participated for a few weeks in a faith-based recovery program, I enjoy asking, how many of you are doing better today than when you first arrived? Almost everyone in the room enthusiastically raises their hand. Then I ask, do you know why you are better? This question gets lots of different answers, but rarely the one I'm looking for. Progress without knowing how you made it adds to the mystery and confusion surrounding recovery. If you are better, there is a reason, and we're not talking about magic here, but solid and identifiable cause and effect. Cause and effect means mean one thing is making another thing happen. Making progress in your recovery is an effect and therefore must have a cause. Knowing what to do, cause, to produce predictable and increasing results, in parentheses, effect, is a game changer, but sadly, many never make the connection between the progress they are enjoying and what they are doing to produce it. Do you understand spiritual laws? When God created the universe, He established laws to sustain and govern life. Nothing affects your life more than these laws. The word law can mean different things. Some hear the word law and think of police or judges, while others think speed limits or Ten Commandments. But I'm talking about laws of a different kind and on a much bigger scale. The law of gravity is a physical example of what I mean. There are those who deny God exists, but there is no denying the law of gravity. 
Like the law of gravity, there are other laws just as certain, but not as obvious, and these laws touch every part of life. Job endured some very difficult things. In his search for answers, he received much input from people around him. His friends told him God was mad at him, and his wife told him he should curse God and die. Thankfully, Job didn't listen to them, but cried out to God for answers, deliverance, and restoration. Finally, Job asked God about the troubles in his life, and in response, God asked him two questions. Job, God asked, do you understand the ordinances of the heavens? Do you understand how they affect your life on earth? Job answered no to both questions, and you can find that in Job 38, 33. Think about this for a moment. God is saying, Job, there are laws you cannot see and do not understand that are having a major impact on your life. Accounting for unseen laws. What if laws are involved in your situation and you're violating those laws because no one has ever explained them to you? What if there are hidden laws you do not understand determining the results you are experiencing in life? What if these laws apply to serious life-controlling problems such as addiction recovery? Does it not make sense to you that if these laws exist, you must understand them and account for them in your life and choices? Picture a toddler just learning to walk, both hands in the air for balance, leaning slightly backwards as they rock forward from one leg to the other. Both eyes wide open and fixed straight ahead, using all the concentration they can muster to stay upright. Now picture that child toddling around on a high porch with no railing. Hard to think about, isn't it? Why is the child at risk? Because it does not understand the law of gravity or the consequences of stepping off the edge. So many people are living like that toddler on the porch, on the edge and in danger because they are ignorant of laws that govern life. Five truths about spiritual laws. And I'm going to put these up on the screen this morning. Five truths about spiritual laws. Number one, a law will produce the same result every time. A law will produce the same result every time. If gravity is anything, it is consistent. I have never gone to sleep at night wondering if gravity will show up for work the next morning and do its job. Remember, the laws we are talking about were established by God to govern and sustain life on this planet. Not understanding a law can put you in danger, but the laws God created were not meant to harm you, but to help you. Since they produce the same result every time, laws can be counted on and used to make life better. We take it for granted, but the food we eat results from a law established by God that says we will harvest what we plant. Genesis 8:22, Galatians 6, 7, and 8. So five truths about spiritual laws. Number two, ignorance of a law does not protect you from the result it produces. Ask any defense attorney and they will tell you ignorance of a law will not protect, protect you from the consequences of breaking that law. Try saying to the police officer who pulled you over for speeding, hey, you can't write me a ticket. I didn't know the speed limit. Spiritual laws work the same way. Not knowing what they are does not keep them from producing consequences in your life. Many of the negative and confusing things in our lives are actually consequences produced from breaking laws we know nothing about. All right, now the, the author reader is about to be overtaken by the teacher pastor, okay? 
many of the negative and confusing things in our lives are actually consequences produced from breaking laws we know nothing about. If you have situations in your life that you just can't figure out why it keeps going this route, why it keeps turning out this way, things that should be better by now but aren't better, things that should be changed by now but aren't changing, things that you should be over and past and moved on from by now, but for whatever reason are still struggling with. Listen to me, please. More times than not, more times than not, at the heart of those results, good negative results, you know what I'm saying? At the heart of those results, there is a law involved that you perhaps do not understand or violating in some way something you don't know anything about. Now, Ignorance of a law does not protect you from the result it produces. This is really important because, see, a lot of times we think, well, you know, ignorance is bliss. No, ignorance is not bliss. Remember what God said, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge, Hosea 4, 6. Isaiah 5, 13, he said, my people are, are in bondage, right? They have a thirst they can't quench and a hunger they cannot satisfy. My mighty men, he says, are famished. Again, in bondage and unsatiable appetites because, again, of a lack of knowledge. Um, 2 Corinthians 2.11, he says that our ignorance of the devil's devices causes the enemy to have an advantage over us. All right, let me keep going here. Number three, a law cannot judge intent. A law cannot consider what you meant to say or do. This means the results produced by a law will be the same no matter your intentions. Fresh out of college, I landed a job as a 911 operator. It was an exciting job, but one that often dealt with people in tragic situations. Hands down, the calls involving injured children affected me the most. But the one call that still bothers me to this day was when a good Samaritan lost his life. A kind man pulled over on the side of the interstate to help someone on the opposite side. In the darkness, rushing to help, he jumped over what he thought was the concrete wall dividing the north and southbound lanes. But he jumped over a bridge railing instead and fell to his death. I still get a sick feeling in my stomach thinking how unfair this tragedy seemed. Why tell such a sad story? Because it makes the point in an unforgettable way. The law of gravity could not realize the man was only trying to help and did not mean to step off the bridge. If gravity could have understood the man's intent, then certainly gravity would have shown him mercy. But laws don't work that way. Ignorance and good intentions will not protect you from the consequences of spiritual laws. This is why, again, one of the most powerful spiritual laws um, is the law of sowing and reaping. And God says this in Galatians, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that he will also reap. Now think about, obviously the law, whatever a man sows, they'll also reap. That's critically important. But think about how the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to frame that law. Be not deceived, to be deceived means to think something is true that's not true. So if you think somehow you're the exception, if you think somehow that you're the one person that can plant bad seeds and not reap a bad harvest in your life, 
<laughs> Not only are you deceived, you're actually mocking God. You're mocking God. So again, he established the law of, of sowing and reaping so that we could plant good things and reap an abundance of good things in our lives. It's the enemy who's trying to manipulate and deceive us into planting bad seeds so that we reap bad harvests in our lives. But either way, listen to me please, that law of seed time and harvest, when you plant bad seeds, that law can't say, well, she's a good person. She didn't mean to plant those bad words. That's really not what she meant when she said those words. See, again, a law can't discern intent. Amen or me. Number four, a law will not adjust for you, so you must adjust for it. A lot of my friends ride motorcycles, and they make riding sound so fun and relaxing, I'm tempted to get a bike myself. The one complaint I hear the most is the danger they face from careless people driving cars. Any of my bikers say amen this morning? Any veteran biker has at least one story to tell of dodging another vehicle that pulled out, drifted over, or cut them off in traffic. A wise biker learns to adjust to the other people on the road. How foolish would it be for a guy on a bike to refuse to get out of the way of an 18-wheeler coming over into his lane? In life, we share the road with big and powerful laws that are not going to swerve to miss us. It is our responsibility to live in harmony with these laws and to make necessary adjustments to account for them. Okay. Now, this fifth principle. Five truths about spiritual laws. Truth number five. The results of a law can only be overcome by another law. Now, this is really important because... Obviously, we're tracking towards the three different kinds of laws that are revealed or stated in Romans chapter 7 and 8. And in that, he's going to reveal a law that's written in our flesh. And that law written in our flesh is the law of sin and death. Remember, your spirit was born again, your flesh was not. And so there is a law in your members, the Bible says, and that law in your members is identified as a law of sin and death, and it is responsible, the Bible says it is responsible for this compulsion within us to continue to do things that we despise and no longer want to do, and it is also behind this lack of motivation when it comes to following through and doing the things that we know we should do. And if you're paying attention to me this morning, every human being in this room deals with both sides of that one coin. Amen or me? It's a law. So pay attention to that. It's a law, the law of sin and death. So again, the results of a law can only be overcome by another law. This is really, really important. Because a lot of people try to overcome the law of sin and death with with determination, with willpower, with motivation, with, with, with redoubling their efforts. 
I'm a firm believer in accountability. I'm a firm believer in goal setting. I'm a firm believer in all of these, you know, methods of, of trying to be better people and be more productive people and, and, and to be more committed people and to be more faithful people. All of that, please hear me, is important. And if it's something good, I'm by no means trying to, to diminish it or talk down to it. But listen to me, please. Goal setting is not a law. And, and while these things can maybe help us in the short run do better, amen, the only way you're going to ever overcome the result of one law, the law of sin and death, is to operate in another law. The only way to, the results of a law can only be overcome by another law. This has to do with everything in your life from bad habits to losing weight to saving money Listen to me, please. Being more financially responsible. You say, you say, I need to be a better parent. What do we mean by I need to be a better parent? Well, we, we, we probably need to spend more quality and quantity time with our family. That's a good place to start being a better parent. Amen. Why is it so hard for us to not do these things, not follow through on these things? Why is there resistance where every good thing in our lives productive thing in our lives is concerned. You trace it back to the law of sin and death in our flesh. The result of that law. How are we going to overcome that? New Year's resolutions? Well, it's October. How's that working for you? <laughs> I mean, see what I'm saying? How's that working? Resolutions are no match for the results produced by a law, right? Just think, I'm going to resolve that gravity no longer has an effect on me and just walk right off the end of this stage. Are you kidding me? Resolution's no match. Willpower's no match. The results of a law can only be overcome by another law. I'm getting way ahead of myself, but... Amen. I'm believing everybody here is going to be back tonight and bring a friend with you, okay? But listen to me, please. This is why he talks about the law of sin and death and then reveals to us the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The only way to overcome the results of the law of sin and death is to understand and learn how to operate in the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The results of the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus can overcome the results of the law of sin and death. Amen. All right. The results of a law can only be overcome by another law. Number five. People dreamed of flying for hundreds of years, and for hundreds of years they failed. Perhaps you've seen some of the old video footage of the early attempts at flight. From wing-like structures covered with feathers to automobiles fitted with giant pulsating beach umbrellas, the result was always the same. Flying was a fool's dream. At least that is what many people thought. Gravity proved to be an unrelenting obstacle, refusing to budge, no matter how daring or ridiculous the effort. But that was then, and this is now. Flying is no longer a dream but a reality. Something so common we take it for granted. But how is it possible? Did gravity finally blink? Have we found a way to turn it off? Not at all. We can fly today because we discovered another law that enables us to overcome gravity and fly despite it. 
The third law of motion. Sir Isaac Newton discovered the laws of motion and the third law of motion states, for every action there is an opposite and equal reaction. It is this law of motion and not magic that keeps an airplane in flight. To keep things simple, the shape of an airplane's wing moving swiftly through the air creates lift. If you stick your arm out of the window of a moving car, you immediately feel your arm cutting through the air. Straighten out your fingers and tilt your hand slightly upward and your arm will be pushed up. The angle of your hand, like the angle of the airplane's wing, pushes air downward, which in return pushes your hand upward. Learning how to operate in this law of motion finally enabled mankind to overcome the law of gravity and take flight. Because flying is based upon a law that produces the same result every time, right? Are you with me? Because flying is based upon a law that produces the same result every time, we can confidently predict the results and trust them at 20,000 feet. All right? You good? Need to stretch? There is a law involved. Earlier, I asked you a few questions and I want to revisit them now. What if laws are involved in your situation and you are violating those laws because no one has ever explained them to you? What if there are hidden laws you do not understand determining the results you are experiencing in life? What if these laws apply to serious life-controlling problems such as addiction and recovery? The reality is there are laws involved and you must understand them to succeed. This may be a silly illustration, but imagine, step, imagine stepping off the edge of a three-foot platform because you made up your mind you're going to walk in midair. Boom, you hit the floor. More determined than ever, you climb back up and try again and again and again but the result is the same each time. Why do you keep hitting the floor? Is it because you aren't trying hard enough? Is it because you don't want it bad enough? Is it because you're so messed up that no matter how hard you try, you'll never be able to walk in midair? No, it's none of these. You keep falling because there's a law involved and laws produce the same result every time. Now let's apply this same example to addiction. You have decided many times you'll live the rest of your life without drugs, but continue to fall back into addiction despite your best efforts. Some say things like you need to try harder, you don't want it bad enough, or you're so messed up you'll never be able to put addiction behind you. We've discussed the importance of effort and desire already, but if you do not understand the laws behind addiction and recovery, you'll keep crashing no matter how much you want it and how hard you try. Three laws. Chapters 7 and 8 in the book of Romans speaks of three laws. The law of Moses, the law of sin and death, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. A closer look at these three laws and how they work will go a long way towards helping you understand addiction and recovery. Let me take a time out here for just a moment, all right? The title of this book is Becoming a Threat to Addiction. The two things I struggle with the most in writing the book, I guess really finishing it was the struggle, but the two parts that were the hardest for me to write was the title and the part where they said I had to do about the author. Okay. 
that was really hard for me, but praise God. Now, while this book is a book about addiction recovery, in a broader sense, it is discipleship principles. Okay. I, I struggle with that title and even struggle with the theme because I didn't want someone who's never dealt with addiction or had a family member deal with addiction think, well, that book doesn't apply to me. Now, Michael Dye says it this way, and I, and I agree with him. We're all in recovery from something. <laughs> Amen. Amen. It may not be heroin. It, 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 it may be refined sugar. It may be carbohydrates. Amen. It may be organized religion. It may be Pentecostal legalism. In other words, there's, there's some issue in our lives, in all of our lives, that Hebrews says the sin that easily ensnares us, that the enemy is, has used against us. Okay. So the principles here, although this book is specifically written um, for those in addiction recovery, there is lots that you can gain from this. Um, Brother Keith Farr recently read the book and, and he said, Pastor, I, I don't know what I was expecting, but um, that book was for me. In other words, in other words Keith Farr is not struggling with addiction, but he talked about how you know, the principles in the book helped him and they'll help you as well. So I'm speaking specifically about addiction recovery here, but there are lots of things in your life, my life, that these truths apply to. Amen? Okay. <clears throat> so again, a closer look at these three laws and how they work will go a long way towards helping you understand addiction recovery. Let me stop one more time and then I'll finish up for this morning. Okay. Are you still with me? You good? You get anything out of this? All right. Thank you for that week. Yes. Amen. But I'll receive it. All right. By faith. Amen. If you've read the book, you understand that I define recovery as what you, God, and others do together to get you to and keep you in your best life. Amen. No, no talk of drugs, no talk of alcohol, no, no talk of any kind of gambling, disorder, pornography, sex addiction, none of that, right? In other words, if you're interested in what you, God, and others need to do together to get you to and keep you in your best life, this book's for you. Okay. And you don't have to have been addicted to be a threat or become a threat to addiction. Amen. All right. So praise God. All right. Now let me get back focused here. The law of Moses is referring to the 10 commandments God gave to us through his servant, Moses. A more in-depth reading of the old Testament reveals the 10 in stone were the first among many commandments issued. These are the biggies, so to speak. Uh, these are the biggies, rather, so to keep this as simple as possible, we will focus our discussion on them. Most have a limited understanding of why the commandments were given and the purpose God intends for them to serve. Common misunderstanding, please hear me on this, because this is, this is one of the key areas that we, we've got to move beyond. There are a lot of folks, again, you've never, never struggled with addiction, but because they don't understand the purpose of those commandments given in the Old Testament, they're, they're, 
they're at a, at a stalemate, at an impasse when it comes to their growth in the, in the things that God has for them to grow in. So let's go. Common misunderstanding goes something like this. Because people were telling lies, having sex with folks outside of marriage, taking things that didn't belong to them and killing one another, God issued some laws to stop the bad behavior. Enough is enough already, and so God said, cut it out. The only problem with this view is the commandments didn't stop people from sinning, but actually caused them to sin more. Think about it. If you tell someone not to do something, it makes them want to do it more. This has been proven by our own, ex own life experience and confirmed by more psychological research than we have time to cover here. The commandments from God produced in us, and I quote from Romans 7, 8 through 10, all manner of evil desire. Obviously, God was not surprised when his commands did not put an end to sin but caused it to explode. But why would he do such a thing? He did it to expose and therefore make us aware of another law that is both hidden and deadly. The law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is the second law explained in Romans chapters 7 and 8 and is not nearly as obvious as the laws written in stone. The law of sin and death is actually written inside our flesh, not by God, but because of Adam's sin. Now, if this sounds odd or creepy, keep reading with an open mind. Like Paul, let's ask a few questions. Why is forbidden fruit more desirable and tastier than the fruit you can have? The Bible says pleasures that are stolen are sweeter and food eaten in secret tastes the best, Proverbs 9 and 17. Why does being told we can't have or do something make us want to have it or do it more? The Bible says the very commands that identify sin also arouse within us sinful passions, Romans chapter 7, verses 5 and 8. Why is it so hard to stop doing things we know are bad for us and so hard to do things we know are good? And why is this so common we accept it as normal? There's really no need for us to go any further if, you, if you're not picking up what I'm putting down right there. Are you following what I'm saying here? Can you relate to this? I mean, you know, I, I say it this way sometimes when, when I'm teaching. You did not wake up in a neutral world this morning. If all things, if all things were neutral and, and it was just, you know, a matter of you just deciding whatever and there was no pull to, to one thing over another, watch, watch it now, then... Uh, a boneless, skinless chicken breast would be just as appealing to you as a double bacon cheeseburger. Right? If there, was, if there was nothing going on that we don't understand, then if there's nothing going on that we don't understand, then why does a criticism carry more weight than a compliment? Think about that for a minute. Think about that for a minute. Fifteen people can tell you they like your new shoes. One person can say, I wouldn't be caught dead in them shoes. And you'll be wanting to go take the shoes back to the store. It's not a neutral world. So,
And why is this so common we accept it as normal? Paul said, I don't understand what's wrong with me. I struggle to follow through on the good I know I should do while continuing to do the things I despise and know are wrong. That's Romans 7, 15 and 19. Can you relate? I know I can. Have you ever asked yourself why this is? And in case you think me, you, and Paul are the only ones, let's go ahead. Uh, let me go ahead and tell you, every human without exception deals with this dilemma. Why? Because there is a law involved. And like gravity, it produces the same result every time. Paul said this law is present in your members, literally meaning the limbs of your physical body, Romans 7 23. But wait, there's more. He also revealed to us by the Spirit of God that willpower alone is not enough to overcome the law of sin at work inside our flesh. Romans 7, 18 and 19. This truth is hard to accept, but our own efforts have proven that willpower alone is no match for this opponent. Wait a minute, I'm saved. The next few sentences will either offend you or set you free, so be warned. When Paul presented this problem of continuing to do things he knew were wrong and struggling to do things he knew were right, he was speaking of personal experience and as someone who had received Jesus and the gift of salvation. Paul is not just referring to a struggle he had before he received salvation, but one that continued after he was born again. Remember, what is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the Spirit is spirit. When you are born again, your spirit is reborn and made new, not your flesh. Since the law of sin and death is in your flesh, it will be a factor in your life until your salvation is complete and you receive the new body God already has prepared for you in heaven. The sooner you understand this and come to terms with it, the better. To recap, the law of sin is at work in your flesh and it is the culprit behind continuing the bad behavior you despise and it makes the good you know and need to do seem hard and unappealing. You cannot get this law out of you and willpower alone is not enough to overcome it. God gave the law written in stone to make us aware of the law written in our flesh. The outward commandments reveal an inward problem they are powerless to fix. I shared this chapter in progress with a large class this morning and had an interesting experience. When I reviewed the point that willpower alone is not enough, I asked the class, and tell me why willpower alone is not enough. I was expecting several to shout out the answer and keep moving forward. Despite having read this chapter word for word to an engaged group of students, I received over two dozen wrong answers, and every time someone answered incorrectly, I immediately asked the question again, why is willpower alone not enough? Finally, someone gave me the correct, correct answer. Before I tell you what she said, let me ask you, why is willpower alone not enough? Anybody? Willpower is not a law. Willpower is not enough because there is a law involved and the only way to overcome the results of a law is with another law. Willpower is not a law. There was a scene in the Raiders of Lost Ark when Indiana Jones is confronted by a sword-wielding ninja-type assassin. Perhaps you've seen it. A man dressed in all black boldly approaches, showing off his highly developed sword skills, and Dr. Jones pulls out a pistol and shoots him. Trying to beat the law of sin and death with willpower alone is like bringing a knife to a gunfight. The knife of your willpower may hold the law of sin and death at bay for a moment, 
But as we have all learned from experience, it's not enough to win the fight. Not enough. I'm out of time, but I got to, can you just, amen, just, amen. All right. The commandments which came, yellow dye in my eye. That's the name of this, that's the sub, sub, subtitle here. Are you ready? The commandments which came through Moses are important but are powerless to save you. The truth is the rules were never meant to save you but were given by God to help you understand how desperately you need a Savior. The Bible is very clear. Obeying the commandments cannot make a person right before God and cannot earn the good things God desires to give us. Only faith in Jesus and God's grace, unearned and undeserved favor, can make us right before God and enable us to receive abundantly from Him. I recently had a problem with a lingering sharp pain in my right eye and decided to go see a doctor. I had an undeniable problem and did not understand the cause. Remember, Paul said he also had a problem he did not understand. The problem was undeniable, but the cause of the problem was hidden. The initial examination of my eye revealed no cause for the pain. The doctor then put a special yellow dye in my eye designed to reveal hidden problems, and it immediately revealed an ulcer on my cornea. Ouch indeed. Once the hidden cause for the obvious problem was revealed, the doctor prescribed the necessary medicine to treat the problem. The dye did nothing to repair the ulcer. It only made it stand out and actually hurt more. So what was the benefit of the special yellow dye? It gave me and the doctor something we did not have before. In all caps, the word understanding. The law of Moses is like that special yellow dye. It reveals a problem it is unable to correct. It reveals a problem it is unable to correct. The law highlighted my sinfulness and made it more painful, but it did nothing to save me from it. How silly would it have been for me to refuse the medicine I needed, choosing instead to put one drop of yellow dye in my eye every four hours for the next seven days. It is even more silly to think a steady dose of the law that identifies your sin can somehow make your sin go away or empower you to overcome it. Thankfully, there is a third law revealed in Romans chapter 7 and 8 called the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. This third law is the answer to the problem made obvious by the special yellow dye. A poem attributed to John Bunyan captures this truth beautifully. Work and run, the law commands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. Amen. Singers, musicians, would you please come? Praise God. Well, we only made it about halfway through this chapter, but that's okay. We'll finish it tonight. I want to... I want to put now those three laws back up there, but I'm wanting you to see, number one, so the law of Moses would be like that yellow dye. The law of sin and death would be like the ulcer on my cornea. I don't know why that, an obvious problem I did not understand. And then number three, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. This is the answer needed. Of the three laws identified in Romans chapter 7 and 8, 
One reveals the problem but cannot fix it. One reveals the problem but cannot fix it. One is the problem, but we cannot see it. That's the law of sin and death. The third is the answer, and we all need it. Amen. Amen. Stand with me. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. All right, so part of this is me just developing confidence in what the Lord's told me, and part of this is I just want to make sure. Are you, are you getting anything out of this this morning? Okay. That wasn't very robust, but I'm still doing it by faith. Amen. Amen. In other words, I don't, I don't want to be like Charlie Brown's teacher up here, you know, wah, 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 wah. You, know, you, you follow what I'm saying? <clears throat> there are answers here that the enemy has kept a lot of God's people ignorant of. And because we've been ignorant of those answers, not only has it affected our ability to get the kind of results in life that, that we long to receive, it's also created an, an unnecessary culture of judgment among God's people. Where we find somebody that's struggling in an area that we're not struggling in and feel like we've got moral high ground over them. That we can somehow judge and, and look down upon them and well, we're fruit inspectors, we're this and we're that. No, we're, we're supposed to be disciple makers. But because we don't understand why people keep doing the things that they do, we, we think, well, they're just morally weak. Just say no, said the person who's never been addicted to anything, right? Come on, brother. Just, if you had more willpower, why can't you just stay away from that, right? Again, there's a law involved. There's a law involved. Now, remember, this chapter begins with me asking, and I do it all the time, how many of you are better today than you were when you first got here? Speaking of the foundry, man, everybody's saying, yeah, woo, 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 woo. Do you know why? The answer is, without even understanding it, they've been acting upon the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And that law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has been lifting them out of the law of sin and death. But again, making progress without knowing how you made it only adds to the mystery. But if you make progress and understand verifiable, undeniable cause and effect, the effect is I'm better and this is why. This is what I've done to make it better, right? Then guess what? You can keep doing it and it'll keep getting better. You can actually do it more and it'll keep getting more better. Because it's a law, right? If a farmer plants a handful of corn, he's going to get the results of a handful of corn. If he plants a tractor trailer load of corn, he's going to get more corn, right? Because there's a law involved. It produces the same result if there's five seed or if there's five million seed. Amen. So if there's something we can do to act upon the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that will elevate our lives, maybe we ought to be about that. Amen. Well, there's obviously a lot more for me to explain here. Let me pray for you, then we'll sing together. Father, thank you this morning for the things that you're showing us, for the things that you're teaching us. Father, there's some really important stuff here 
that you have provided for us in your word. It's very concentrated. It's very condensed. It's very compacted. And Lord, I thank you this morning that you have given me uh, the ability and the words to, to simplify and explain and, 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 and make it plain, Lord, this morning so that every person who wants to understand it and utilize the benefits of these things can. Father, we have a law acting upon us, but Lord, there's another law that we can act upon and overcome it. And it'll produce the same results of victory every time we do. It'll produce the same results of life and peace every time we do. It'll produce the same results of empowering us to overcome laziness, overcome indifference, overcome callousness, overcome stagnation, Father, and rise above into the, into the realms of excellence, into the realms of fruitfulness, into, into the realms of, of productivity, Father, receiving, Lord, uh, that you created every one of us to rise up into, Lord, that law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. It's a law not written in our flesh, Father. It, you wrote it in our spirits. And greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world against us. Father, we've been ignorant of these things for too long. We've, we've been victimized by the enemy where these things are concerned for too long. Jesus, you said we'd know the truth and the truth would set us free. And I thank you, Father, that your truth specifically related to these things is set before us this day, Father. Help us continue in it. Help us go after it. Help us develop this skill of setting our minds on the things of the Spirit, following after the things of the Spirit. Lord, to operate in that law of the Spirit, live according to what's written in our born-again Spirit, that law, Father. It's very sad to me, Lord, to see people continuing to struggle because there's a law they don't understand. And there's another law that'll help them overcome that they don't know how to tap into. But thank you, Father, that your truth is setting us free. <clears throat> Freer than we've ever been to live our best life for your glory. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's sing this together this morning. If you'd like someone to pray with you, these altars are open. Be more than happy to agree with you in prayer in your life. Amen. But let's, let's sing before we're dismissed. Let's worship the Lord for a moment. Praise God.